Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 38 of the Everything About Tennis podcast. I am your host, Andy Gerst, and thank you very much for listening today. We've got a really fun conversation for you with ATP Tour veteran Sam Query. Sam has reached as high as number 11 in the world and has been one of our best American male players and a mainstay inside the top 100 in the world for the last 10 years or so. Uh, Sam and I grew up together in Southern California in the junior tennis world here. We're only about a month apart in age. Um, So it's been really cool watching him, along with a few other guys we grew up with, have such a long and successful professional career. It's been really fun to root for him all these years. And in this conversation, we talk about a lot of fun stuff, um, including what it felt like early on in his pro career when he was having some immediate success right away, um, how he learned to handle that success and also the losses that he that he's faced throughout his career, something that every tennis player can relate to. Um, and he also shared a little bit what it's like to share the court with some of the modern legends of our game, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, uh, Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray, all guys except for Roger, um, that he's beaten at different points in his career. You know, all tennis players make you feel a certain way when you're out there on the court with them and when they're playing their games against you. And so that was one thing I was kind of curious to hear what it was like to play those players. And on top of all that, one of the things that really stood out to me when talking to Sam that I think everybody can apply to their games is just the trust and belief in his game. And even though, just like all of us, you know, your confidence goes through highs and lows, he has faith that because of his style of play and how big his game is, that on any given day, he can beat any player in the world. And while most of us out there can't have that kind of belief where we can beat anybody in the world on any given day, I think we can all have that trust and belief in our own tennis games, though, every time we step out on the court. And when you focus on just being the best that you can be on that day and focusing on what you can do really effectively to bother the opponent, and then let whatever happens, happens, that mental approach helps us have the best chance to be successful every single day that we step out on the court. So I thought that was something, we get into that in the conversation, and I thought that's something that we can all kind of apply to our games that can that can really help us. But uh, enough of me rambling, though. <laughs> let's get uh, Let's move on. But before we get to the conversation, this episode is brought to you by Adidas Tennis. Depending on what type of tennis shoe you like, Adidas has the right fit for you. Are you looking for something with lots of cushioning, great support, and durability? If so, the new Soul Boost that feature Adidas' signature Boost cushioning technology. Uh, anyone out there that's got a pair of Ultra Boosts out there, you know what I'm talking about. Um, those, the, the Soul Boosts are just super comfortable and offer lots of support. If you're looking for something super lightweight and fast feeling, the Ubersonic 3 is an awesome option that keeps you feeling low to the ground and completely connected to your movement. Also, those of you that are looking for some new tennis clothes, their new summer line just came out. So be sure to head to my show notes, click the links there, and check out all the great tennis product that Adidas has to offer. 
Also, this episode is brought to you by Cadence Insoles. And by now, I am completely convinced that you are you are not using these insoles in your athletic shoes or whatever shoes you're walking around in. You are not getting the most out of your footwear. These insoles are designed by a podiatrist, and they offer the perfect amount of support to keep your feet, knees, hips, and back happy and healthy. But what sets these insoles apart from most of the other uh, aftermarket insoles out there is the plush cushioning system that goes along with that great support. It makes them feel super comfortable and uh, and really keeps you keeps you uh, keeps you happy all day. So uh, I use them in my tennis shoes and also in my running shoes. So I really suggest doing yourself a favor and checking out Cadence insoles also via the link in my show notes. All right, let's get to my conversation with ATP Pro Sam Query. We recorded this a couple weeks back uh, as he was just starting his preparation for the clay court swing of tournaments over in Europe. Um, so, um, so yeah, he's getting ready for that. I apologize at the end. There's a little bit of funky audio, but uh, I hope you don't mind. But uh, let's do this. Highline, take it away. Stand Okay, we are live with ATP Touring Pro Tour veteran, Sam Query. Sam, thanks for joining the pod today, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Absolute pleasure to have you on. And I got to start out uh, furthering our conversation we had in Acapulco, man. How's the the golf game been feeling these days? Uh, So-so, although I am playing tomorrow for the first time. It's probably been, gosh, a few months playing tomorrow with my dad and some friends. I'm I'm hoping, uh, you know, by some miracle, the game's there tomorrow. <laughs> Were you? I know you've kind of taken to the game a lot recently. Were you watching the Masters uh, over the past weekend? Oh yeah, we. Uh, my wife and I just got a new puppy about two weeks ago. Oh and nice. So you know, she the dog's up at five a.m. So I was up at five a.m. and I I watched every single shot of Tiger Woods because <laughs> you know, I think he peed off at like six twelve. Um, yeah, it was an early start. So it was great. It was fun to watch. Very cool, man. Very cool. I was I was wondering, man. I was thinking about your uh, I was thinking about your golf game, and I was curious, being you know the level you're at in tennis and having taken a sport to to that high of a level, do you apply any sort of your like the things you've learned in tennis to your golf, or is it something that you can just totally get away and and not even worry about it? Yeah, it's something totally different. I've played golf. You know, I started playing when I was probably eight. Um, and by, and by playing and occasionally going like with my dad at a driving range. Uh, but it feels, com- it feels completely different. It's just a fun game to play. It's relaxing. And a lot, you know, a lot of my friends play, especially guys that I, that play tennis, John Isner, Steve Johnson, Jack Sock, James Blake, Andy Roddick, the, you know, those guys play a lot of golf too. So it's a pretty popular sport amongst the tennis guys. That's cool. I know Marty's a, Marty's really good, right? Yeah, uh, Marty, James, and Steve Johnson are actually playing right now, and I, I didn't get invited. <laughs> so once they hear this, they, you know, I'm, I'm pretty mad about it. <laughs> That's funny, man. That's cool. 
Well, man, I, I kind of want to start with the begin start start from the beginning with you. Um, I, I have to say, it's been awesome, you know, growing up with you. We're only about a month apart in age, so we grew up playing junior tennis, and it's been fun rooting for you all these years. And you know, we were talking before we pressed record. I can't believe you've been on tour now for over twelve. Well, since two thousand five, right? You've been playing professionally. Two thousand six was my first year as a professional. Wow! So that's yeah, we're going on year thirteen. That's insane. Yeah, year thirteen. Wow. When you were, when you were growing up, you know, a lot of kids say, Oh, I want to be a pro tennis player. Could you, did you ever imagine that this kind of career was possible for yourself? Uh, you know, early on, definitely not. When I was 10, 11, 12 years old, I played tennis, but I also played soccer and baseball. I played a year of football. I played basketball until my freshman year of high school. And so, you know, I I liked tennis when I was you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. But I like the other sports too. And I was hanging out with my friends, and I'd go to a tennis clinic twice a week, and then take my lesson once a week. And it really wasn't until I was, you know, fifteen or sixteen, where I was, I kind of focused on tennis. I was the best at tennis out of all those sports, so that's probably why I picked it. And um, you know, then there was a year or two in there where I was kind of thinking, you know, this is going well. I could probably go play in college. And then it really wasn't until I was. 17, maybe 18, um, until I was like, all right, I'm, I'm pretty good. And, and I think, you know, I can hopefully make a career out of this now. And I, you know, ended up not going to college and now here we are 13 years later. Yeah. When was that? Did you kind of have that breakthrough moment as a kid? Like I remember, and I hope my, my memory serves me right. Um, but I remember, like you said, you were always good, but you were never like top, top. And then I remember you, uh, winning 14s hard courts, right. In San Antonio. Yes, I won 14s hard courts, and at that point, I still, you know, I, you know, I, I loved tennis, and I was, I was still doing a few other sports. I think it was when I was when I was 16, I won. They had the, a new international tournament here in Carson, California, that I won, and then won the Easter Bowl, and then won Kalamazoo, the, the national hard courts, and then kind of started. You know, I got to play in the Junior U.S. Open and the Junior French Open and Junior Wimbledon, and that's kind of when I started to kind of get the ball rolling. Did you feel like something clicked for you at that point in your game or did it all just kind of start um, to come together? You know, I, yeah, I can't pinpoint anything like special or particular, but, um, you know, I was a tall kid growing up. Sometimes, sometimes tall guys take a little longer to develop, not only in tennis, but in, in other sports too. And so that, that could have been a little bit of it. I was kind of grown into my body and, um, you know, it's, at 16, I had a, this coach, Grant Doyle, who was fresh off the ATP tour, and he moved to Thousand Oaks where I was living. And I started, you know, taking lessons is a, you know, not a strong enough way of describing it. You know, I took lessons, <laughs> but he was mentoring me, and he traveled with some, started traveling with tournaments for me and really showed me the ropes. And he was pretty influential for me from the time I was, you know, really 16 to 18 of showing me kind of what, what good pros do. Do you remember, does anything stick out to you, like some of the lessons that, that he taught you at, the, at that point that really helped you take that next jump? Um, you know, not so much like a, anything in particular, but just traveling around and kind of, I, I didn't even know, you know, the futures and challengers and tour events. And, you know, when I first started working with him, I didn't know you can even play in the Junior French Open or Junior Wimbledon. I didn't know those were <laughs> tournaments. And so he really opened my eyes up um, to a lot of things you know, revolving around tennis that I didn't even know existed. So that was probably the biggest part of it. 
Yeah, that's cool, man. And then, you know, another interesting thing, too, and, and Stevie also, I think, you guys had pretty, you know, quote-unquote traditional childhoods in the sense you didn't go off to an academy or anything like that. You went to, you went to four years of high school, I think, right? Uh, correct, yeah. I went to Thousand Oaks High School. My junior year and senior year, I did half my classes at traditional okay. high school and half through an independent study program that was still at the high school. I just went once a week. Um, mm. I, I was just, I was traveling to play some of these international tournaments. So I was missing, you know, 50, 60 days of school a year. So it was, I was kind of forced to do this other program a little bit, but yeah, for the most part, I went to traditional high school, went to prom, went to homecoming, you know, my <laughs> closest friends are all my high school buddies still. So it was nice to have that balance growing up. Yeah. Did you, do you feel like that, that benefited you in certain ways or set you back in any ways or anything like that? Because I'm sure you look at the guy's you know, your, your peers now. And I would imagine that the vast majority of them didn't have the same kind of, you know, quote, you know, again, quote unquote, normal childhood that, that you had. Right. You know, I, I can't say if it was beneficial or non-beneficial, but you know, I wouldn't change it. I loved growing up in, in Thousand Oaks and going to the schools I went to and having the friends that I had. And my, my parents were, were great. And my sister was great. and Everyone was supportive. And, um, you know, ultimately I think, you know, I, maybe I was a guy that, I could have gotten burned out if I was at a tennis academy or it was tennis all the time. I liked, you know, as a kid, I just did what I liked and I was yeah. playing other sports, hanging out with my friends. And I think, you know, that's more important than, you know, at 10 years old or 12 years old, I'm going to be a pro tennis player. You know, do what you like, have fun. And then when you're a little later, you can focus on something a little more. Yeah. Do you mention burnout? Do you ever kind of, have you... I guess I'm jumping ahead here a little bit, but have you ever had those moments in your, like once you started to amp it up, like you said, kind of growing up, you always had this, this kind of great balance with other sports and friends and school. Then when you started to take it a little bit more seriously, were you kind of all in or was it tough for you at first to adjust to kind of pour everything into it? Um, no, you know, I was all in right away. When I decided not to go to college, I remember the, you know, and, and I, you know, made the decision to go professional. Literally, that whatever that Monday was when I went to practice, I felt different. I I felt like I I amped up the work ethic and I I worked harder and smarter and put my time in because I didn't I didn't want to fail. I didn't I wanted this to work out. And there's definitely been times where I've I've been tired and um, you know wanted to step away for a little bit. You know, burnt out's too big of a word. Yeah. Um, but you know, for the most part of the last 13 years, it's, it's been fun. I still enjoy it. I still like going to practice. Uh, you know, I like going to most of the tournaments. Some, some are better than others. There's, there's <laughs> times during the year where the travel gets a little tough, but overall, um, no, I, I haven't been burnt out and it's, it's been a great, great ride and fun. I've enjoyed most of it. That's awesome. What are some of those favorite tournaments? What do you like? To, which ones do you like the best? Um, you know, Wimbledon's probably the most special. It's just like the Masters in golf, like we're talking about. It's just yeah. everything about it with the the grounds and the precision and how when you're there, you know, there's the crew with, with sticks with little pointy things on them. And they're cleaning <laughs> up the, the cracks in the ground and the ivy going up the walls. It's just tennis perfection and it's um, it's got so much tradition. So, I mean, that's, that's a tough tournament to beat for me. And then, you know, right out here in Indian Wells, it's... Yeah incredible event i know all the players say that ever since larry ellison took over and bought it about six years ago he's improved it so much and there's every stadium or every court is like a mini stadium and uh every year as a player when you go there there's something new or some great kind of type of renovation um that's really fun and 
the, the tournament that I was at last week, actually, in Houston, is one of the best ones. It's oh, played cool. at River Oaks Country Club. It's one of the few tournaments that's played at a country club. <laughs> and it's got an old, old school stadium with some wood bleachers and the members at the club. I mean, it, outside of Wimbledon, it's the toughest ticket to get in tennis almost. The members, really? buy, members buy every ticket. It's sold out every for every match, every session. It's at this beautiful club. They have, um, you know, the Bryan Brothers Band plays once, uh, <laughs> you know, one of the nights. They've got a, a white party there where everyone's dressed up in beautiful white clothes and they bring in a band. You, you're allowed to golf at the golf course. And so... They do a really great job of making a fun, making it a fun week for the uh, players. And then, oh, lastly, I mean, Australian Open's a ton of fun too. Part of it is it's, you know, the the venue's half a mile from downtown Melbourne. So, yeah. you know, when you're unlike the U.S. Open, where it's a it's an hour trek out to Flushing Meadows, you feel like you're kind of in the city the whole time, which is fun. And you're also the Australian Open. You're coming off a two month break of no tournaments in November and December, so you're always a little more excited to get. Yeah, down you're there. fresh. You're fresh and ready to go. Yeah, I was so impressed. That was the first time I uh, first time I've been down there was this year with Danielle, and uh, I, I was so impressed, man. And Melbourne is such a cool city. Oh my gosh, like you said, you're right there, a half mile from from downtown. You walk across the river, and oh man, all the great coffee and food and everything like that. Yeah, it's, it's a great great event and such a fun city. Yeah, that's awesome. You you mentioned your decision to uh, forego college to go pro. Um, what was what was that decision like? You were you were slated to go to USC, right? Correct. I was going to go to USC, um, and then basically the the summer before school started, I was playing some uh, challenger events and some pro events, and so really from June to September, I. I won three challengers and then I won a, I won matches at the LA tournament and then in New Haven. Then I won my first round at the U S open. And so all of a sudden I was, you know, I was ranked 150 in the world off the of three months of work. And I was, I was playing really well. And you know, at, at that point it actually wasn't that difficult of a decision. I, I signed with an agent and I was fortunate enough to get a, a, a clothing deal with Adidas and a racket deal with Prince. And so, um, you know, I was kind of off races at that point, had a lot of momentum. So, it, um, you know, I was, I was bummed to, to not go to college to have that experience, but I, I couldn't t- turn down the opportunity. And it was an, kind of an obvious one at the time. Yeah. I, it, again, I hope my memory uh, serves me right here. But did you, I remember you getting a wild card. I think, was it a futures in Hawaii or something like that? It was like your first, it was your first event and you got the wild card and won it. Am I, am I off here or is that um, right? It's a little odd. I played a few years in Hawaii. I can't remember how I, I didn't win it. Okay. I, I do remember I, I played a challenger in Yuba City. It was like my first challenger. Okay. Maybe that was it. And then I won, I won that. Okay. Okay. Like, you weren't far off. Yeah. <laughs> but that's cool though. Yeah. And then you just, the momentum just built so quickly. Did you, did you, were you feeling that confident in your game? Did you know that, did you know that kind of that that was in you or did it take you by surprise, the success right away? Um, you know, it might've taken me by surprise a little bit. I had done well in the, in the juniors, you know, I had won some ITF tournaments. I'd made the quarterfinals of the U S open juniors and the quarterfinals of the French open juniors. Um, I, I certainly wasn't expecting to make such a, such an impact on the, on the pros so quickly, but, um, you know, sports is all about momentum. And I, I just had a lot of it, you know, back then in 2006 and won those three events and, and then, um, you know, winning matches at, at the tour events. And so, 
you know, I didn't know what was part of it too. You don't know what's going on at 18. I'm just playing. Turn. You don't, <laughs> you don't feel any pressure. You have nothing to lose. And so it was almost easy in a way. I didn't, I didn't really think about anything. And, you know, a lot of times if I could, I wish I could have that mindset now, honestly, <laughs> but, um, you know, so I, it caught me by surprise a little bit, but I, I, I knew I had talent. I knew I had a big game and, um, you know, I'm glad that it worked out that way. I feel like if I, if I didn't make those strides so quickly, I really would have been torn on, do I go to college? Do I turn pro? And I kind of maybe would have second guessed myself, but because I had the success so quickly, it really made me feel good about my decision to kind of forego college and pursue a pro career. Yeah. Yeah. What were, um, so you, you kind of you launched into this pro career, you're building this momentum, you're having that early success. Um, do you remember some of the first things that you learned you know, in those first couple years on the tour, like any of the things that maybe took you by surprise or some of the things where you go, oh, okay, I really got to start doing things this way. What, what were kind of some of those early, early lessons you learned as a young pro? Gosh, it, it's tough to pick out any. I mean, it, it mostly just watching the other guys, watching the, you know, whoever at the time was top 10, top 20, watching them work. And uh, at the time I was pretty close to Andy Roddick. He was really, um, you know, influential and nice to me kind of when I was 17, 18, 19 years old, he would constantly invite me out to Austin, Texas, where he lived and let me practice with him. There's a couple of times where before the Australian Open, he would go to Hawaii and practice and kind of bring me along as a, you know, I guess a hitting partner would be what it yeah. was, but I was probably ranked, you know, a lot of these times I was ranked better than, you know, higher than a hundred in the world. And just watching him work every day and do the right things and taking care of his body um, you know, that's probably kind of what I learned the most those first few years. Yeah. What What was the difference? Like, what What, what was What was he doing that was different than what you were doing? Um, you know, it wasn't that I I wasn't doing anything. I just didn't know what. You know, again, I was new. I didn't know what to do, and just yeah. he just he woke up every morning. He went to practice. He tried hard and focused day in and day out, and just did everything he could to be the best that he could be. And whether that whether he won matches or lost matches, just watching him do that day in and day out was, you know, really nice to see. And it really, you know, helped me kind of form a foundation of what to do as a professional. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the winning, you know, it doesn't matter with the winning or the losing, you still kind of keep coming back and, and kind of sticking to your process or whatever. And that's one of the things that kind of blows my mind when I'm looking out at the pro tour and stuff like that is, you look at all these guys, all these girls that are so professional, they're doing so many things right. And what I think the casual fan a lot of times doesn't realize is that half of these players go home on the first day. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of, yeah. there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of one and dones or, you know, two thirds of the players are going home after the second days. And I imagine that learning how to, especially coming off so much success too as a junior, was there kind of a process for you in terms of learning how to maybe deal with losing a bit more than you were used to? And what, you know, what were some of the ways that, that helped you kind of use that to get better? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I won a bunch of matches right away and then, um, you know, 2006 ended, 2007 started and I, I won a couple matches at the Australian Open and then one matches in the U.S., in March and April, and then I hit my first trip to Europe on the clay. <laughs> and I went over there with my coach, and I think I lost, you know, maybe seven or eight first rounds in a row. Oh wow! And um, you know, and, and this is not this is that long ago, two thousand seven. I you know I didn't have an iPhone in Europe. I didn't 
you're just kind of over there with your coach and you lose on Monday and you wait around. I was waiting around six days and for the next tournament then I lose on Monday again, then wait around for six days and lose on Monday again. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of eye opening Cause I think for a while there in my head, I was like, Oh my God, you know, I'm going to be ranked five in the world here pretty soon, but <laughs> it's not that easy. And, um, that was kind of a, a reality check for me. And then I went over to, to play on, you know, that, then I, after the, the French open that year, I came back home for a, a week, then went back and played on grass. And even though I've had success on grass now, grass is a tough surface to play on your, for your first time. It's oh yeah. <laughs> to move on. And, you know, even Pete Sampras lost at Wimbledon his first couple of years early on. And then I, you know, I went to Wimbledon and lost first round and, and the tournament before that lost first round. And so that's kind of when I was humbled and, and set back into reality. And, um, you know, after that kind of, you know, I don't know if that's, you call that a lesson, but I, you know, just, it kind of let me know that, Hey, guys are, guys are good all over the world. And I'm not just going to come in here and win every match right away. And, um, you know, after that, I kind of had to get back to work, get a plan together with my coach and then kind of start on the next path. Yeah. Is it easy for you? Is it like just kind of the way you're made up mentally and emotionally? Is it easy for you in those moments to just say, okay, well, let's, let's kind of reassess and keep coming at it. Or is it, were there some tough moments in there where it's like, cause I imagine, yeah, I mean, losing seven, eight matches in a row for the first time in your career, probably that had, that, that had to have made an impact a little bit. Yeah, it did. And, you know, honestly, I, I don't remember that much yeah. of really how I felt after that. Um, you know, cause at the time I was still 19 years old and ranked probably 65 in the world. So, right. you know, I was always pretty good about kind of stepping back and kind of looking at the big picture and saying, okay, look, this has been a tough stretch, but you know you need to look at tennis over the course of a twelve-month calendar, not not a seven-week calendar. And so um, you know I feel like I've always been good at that. And I stepped back, and I was I was still young, I was still ranked high. I had the summer hardcourt swing coming up, and then I got the the ball rolling again, and then um, you know was able to kind of get get things going. Do you schedule things out for a twelve-month span in terms of like obviously the tur- the tournaments now you kind of know what you're going to, but like in terms of training and stuff too, are there certain things you build in there, like periodization where you're going, okay, in this, this, this month here, I'm working towards this, or, you know, this month here, I might have to be willing to make a couple more mistakes because I'm building here, you know, kind of referring to that longer term vision. Are you, is that pretty explicit? Are you writing that out? Um, I'm, you know, I'm not writing it out and in, te- in tennis, you have to be flexible. Yeah. So, um, you know, over the years, the w- the way tournaments work, you're, you're, you enter into a tournament six weeks for, prior to the event, right. and you're, you're entered based on your ranking at that time. So um, you try to do your best. I usually have a general outline of what tournaments I'm going to play during the year. But there have been years where, um, you know, for example, there's tournaments in Cincinnati and Toronto. And if you're ranked 50 in the world or, or better, you'll get into it. If you're ranked 70 at the time you're not even going to get into that tournament so then you kind of have to be flexible with all right i might maybe i'll go play a smaller tournament or maybe i might take a week off there so um a little bit of your calendar always depends you have to be flexible because based on your ranking you don't know where you're going to get in always but um for the most part my schedule has been the same and um i usually take a, a little chunk before i go to europe on the clay to prep and get stronger and and or hopefully get stronger and faster and better at tennis <laughs> <laughs> and then again, uh, in December, that's kind of the other little off season, but it, it is nice knowing your schedule far in advance, just so you have an idea of what you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. You, you've been unbelievably consistent. You've been inside the top 100, 
you know, for the most part, ever since you broke through about 12 years ago. Um, but you fluctuated between, you know, you've had times where you're kind of in the top 75 and then you'll break into the top 20 and you'll come back down, you'll go back up. What's, what's the difference in your eyes between kind of being that fixture inside of the top 20 or when you kind of drop down or is it just kind of the wave of how it goes and, um, and you have to write it or is there a distinct difference for you? Um, you know, it's a tough question. That's the, that's the thing that I wish I was better at. I wish I played a little more consistent over the years. Cause like you said, I've, you know, I've been top 20, then I moved back down to 55, then I went to 13 and then I went to 80 for a second and mm-hmm. back to 11. So it's, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. And, um, you know, for me, it's, it's been about confidence. And when I'm feeling confident, I, you know, I, I feel like I can beat anyone in the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, after, when I, when I'm not confident, I'm losing matches. Um, you know, I don't feel like that. And then, you know, it's kind of like anything, if you're not confident, then every little thing can maybe bug you a little bit. Like, oh, my forehand doesn't feel quite right today. Or, oh, my footwork's a little off. Um, but, you know, I, I, at any given moment, I feel like I have a big enough game that I could make a run at a tournament and have these big results. So that's the one kind of, you know, belief that I've that I've always really had mm-hmm. um but I I do I do wish that I had figured out and I you know I still have years left I'd, I'd love to put together more consistent years in a row and end in a in a higher ranked place than I'm at now are there players um uh, that that you look at that are kind of having that consistency year in year out that you look to and you can kind of identify maybe some of the things that they're doing or is it is it kind of tough to tough to figure tough to say? It's it's tough to say just because every player is so different. Everyone, you know, you never know what guys are are dealing with with their game, with their head, with their families, and you know, everyone has different. You got righties, lefties, one handed backhands, serving volleyers, baseliners, clay courts, grass courts. So it's it's so inconsistent with um, you know everyone's everyone's so different. So I you know I I wish I knew. How to, how to do that, and I'm I'm trying my best now, but um, you know that's a tough question to to answer. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned you've uh, you know you you have the ability to to beat anyone in the world and make runs and in, in in whatever tournament you play. And I was I was really excited to ask you. I was when you reflect on your career so far, what are kind of your your favorite moments in your career? What stands out to you? Um, there's probably, you know, there's probably four or five, uh, early on my first title that I won in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. um, you know, anytime you win your first title, that's exciting. It's fun. And the ATP actually sends every first title winner, this, this kind of picture frame with the draw on a picture. Oh, cool. so, you know, I've got that up. Yeah. Um, and then later that was, that was 2008 and later in 2008 at the U S open, I lost a fourth round match to Rafael Nadal on center court that was the first time i played on center court at the u.s open it was on labor day i played rafa and lost in four sets um and it was just really fun i remember almost getting goosebumps during the match and uh you know it was a match i lost but it was a match that i to this day it was still the one of the most fun atmospheres and exciting days of my life wow why was that just from the crowd and the energy yeah, and all that crowd, it was, you know all twenty three thousand seats were full and they were for the most part, cheering for me and, you know, first time on, on center court at the U S open. Wow. So it was kind of a lot of first for me and it was really exciting. And, 
the other three moments would definitely be beating Novak at Wimbledon, um, beating Murray at Wimbledon, and then beating Rafael Nadal in Acapulco two years ago. Yeah, those are some those are some massive wins. <laughs> yeah, those are, those are definitely some big wins and, and big events. And so those were, um, you know, those probably five moments are the ones that stand out to me the most. Yeah, did you feel a little bit bad beating Andy at, at Wimbledon? Was uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been asked that before, and the answer is no. You know, it's I had you know I had my little crew of like seven or eight people cheering for me, my player box, <laughs> and eventually the entire stadium cheering for Andy. But uh, he's won everything else, so that was you know he can let me have one. <laughs> That's cool. I'm I'm curious, man. I mean, not a lot of people can say that they've played you know all these top guys, these legends of the game, Rafa and Novak and Roger and and Andy. What's it? I'm, Pardon me if this is a silly question, but what I mean, what's it like playing those guys? What are the feelings that those guys give you? You know, is it what 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 is it like playing playing Novak, for instance? You know, it's it's different. The the first time I played Federer, the first time I played Novak, first time I played Roger, um, you know, it's a little intimidating, a little scary. And then as you get to play them a, a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time, uh, you settle into things and um, you know, for me, the first time actually I played Rafa, I went three sets. Mm-hmm. And then the next time it was four sets. The next time it was four sets. So Rafa was a guy kind of right at the beginning since I won that set. It gave me a little bit of belief to beat him. And, um, you know, same with Novak. Early on, he, he crushed me the first time. But the second time we played, I lost a set 7-5. And it just gave me a little belief like, hey, I'm, I'm right here with this guy. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, you know, beat him one time. And my first time I beat him was in 2012. And once you beat someone once, you kind of have the belief that, hey, I can maybe beat him again. Yeah. Even though after I beat him, he beat me the next four times in a row. Um, Roger's been the only guy for me. I've, I've lost to him four times and it's, it's never been close. He's just, he's tuned me up. He's had my number <laughs> and I've, I've never really felt comfortable playing against him. Yeah. When you're, that's because that's what I'm curious about. Because even, you know, no matter what level... A tennis player is that they can all relate to you know there's there's certain feelings that the that certain players give you you know some people feel like they're running everything down you can't hit anything past them some people feel like you know you're playing them and you can't get settled in or you know, some some people feel like they're completely hitting through you and there's nothing you can do like what what is it that uh you know let's 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 take Novak for instance where you said you kind of settled into that match what's the feeling that he gives you that you know, makes him Novak and, you know, other people, you know, that he does kind of above and beyond other people. You know, with, with Novak, I feel like there's times where, you know, I'm a, I'm a tall guy. I'm known for my serve. There's, I like getting free points on my serve. And I feel like there's times when I'm playing him where he really locks in on the return. And this is the same with Murray too, that you can't, you can't get a free point on your serve. And as a, a big server, it's frustrating when the ball when the return comes back into play, even if it's not hit cleanly, it just comes in every single time. And, and over time, it just, you feel the pressure build up and build up. And it's, it's uh, you know, that was always a little frustrating for me, especially playing those guys. Yeah. What about Roger? Roger, you know, I'm still uncomfortable playing him. Yeah. Um, what is it that, what is it that makes you feel, uh, or, so you know, not I just played, you, but. Right. I've played him four times and, you know, I played him, when I was 19 years old, right out of the shoot when I was young in Miami. And so that, you know, it was a night match in Miami. I was in 
who's Roger Federer and, you know, you're warming up <laughs> and they, they go over each other, you know, my credentials, hey, this 19 year old's won a couple challengers. And then they go over to Roger, you know, 12 time grand slam champ. You're listening to it. You're like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get crushed. And so <laughs> that was the first time I played in which I, you know, I wasn't comfortable. Then I played him a year later, first round at the French open. And then, you know, the next time I played him was at, was second round Wimbledon on center court. And then the last time I played him was at the labor cup, his own event, his first match. Wow. And so <laughs> all four moments I've played him have been like very monumental, big tennis moments, maybe yeah, more so very different conditions play. though, different conditions at center court. You know, you're always playing him on center court. The, no matter where you're playing, the crowds for him. Um, and so it just, I never was able in any, in all four of those situations to settle in and, and find my comfort zone, which is normal. I don't think most people would be able to. Yeah. Um, you know, where a couple of the other guys like Novak and Rafa and, and Murray, I got to play them in, and at least they were master series events, you know, maybe on a, <laughs> on a second round and not a grand slam center court or, or the labor cup, his own event. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty crazy. It appears just, you know, from get from watching him play the, the two things that stand out to me most is just, I think how early he takes the ball is, is overlooked by the casual tennis fan. It just kind of feels like, or it, it looks like that Roger's just kind of always on top of whoever he's playing. And then also he's got this, I mean, he, he looks obviously aesthetically perfect when he plays, right. but he can, he can, he almost plays like a, like a junk baller in a sense where he's never given you the same ball twice and he's not giving you a bunch of rhythm. Is that kind of accurate or not? Not really. Yeah, it is, you know, and, you know, to sum it up, he's so efficient on the court. Right, um, right. He, he takes the ball early, he shortens points. He's he's consistently beat guys between 5 and 20 in the world, 6-3, 6-4, 58 minutes. And so <laughs> right. you, you watch these tournaments, he's he's constantly into the semifinals, and he's he's been on court for four hours, and his opponent is in the semifinals, who's been on court for nine hours during the week. And so his efficiency um, – it's just been incredible, especially against other really good players. And you just don't, you know, there's really no one else that does that like him. Yeah. Yeah. Are the, uh, you're seeing the new, a new era of player now coming up, this whole next gen, uh, group of guys. Are there, are there guys in that group that, that stand out to you that maybe you've played and you can, you kind of feel, feel their games and go, wow, this guy does a lot of things, does a lot of things well, does a lot of things to bother me. Yeah, you know, I haven't I haven't played all of them, but I've I've played Shapovalov, I've played Francis, I've played Kochnov, and um, I would say the one common thing with all these younger guys with Kochnov, Shapovalov, Chung, um, Tsitsipas, they they hit the ball so hard just on a consistent basis. I feel like these new age younger guys, if the ball's there to be hit, they hit it so hard. I feel like the average ball speed for these guys is 10 miles an hour faster than some, you know, some of the guys in their late twenties and they almost play like they have no fear. They don't, they're going to step up and swing. And if they miss it and uh, you know, they feel like they cracked it and did the right thing. They're just going to keep doing it the whole match. And it's, uh, you know, I, the, it's tough to play against, you know, when these, these young guys are just taking cuts and it just, it honestly looks like they don't care if they miss. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they've got a ton of firepower, and these guys are all so physically imposing too. You know, like you were saying, you came on the tour and you're a taller guy, and now all these guys seem like they're your height. Yeah, and you know, I feel like my first eight years on tour, if you hit a second serve, you just kind of hit a kick serve to the backhand. 
And now these guys, everyone's hitting second serves at 110 miles an hour to all places on the court. And it just, you know, you just kind of see the evolution of the game a little bit with these younger guys. Yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. At at this point in your career, where kind of where do you see your game? Are you still trying to add things to your game? Are you trying to kind of tidy up and just improve what you've got already? And uh, kind of where are you at in terms of your game development? Look, I'm I'm trying to get better every day. If, if once the day comes where you're not really trying to improve or evolve, you know, I'm sure that's kind of going to be the day that I'm going to stop because I feel like you know you've, everyone's heard this. If you're not if you're not improving or not looking to get better, you're you're getting worse in a way. Yeah. And so um, I'm I'm working full time now with Bahe Azadorian, yeah. um, who's, who's helped me over the years. You know, Craig Boynton was coaching me for three years, and Bahe would help me here in LA. And I'm I'm full time with Bahe, so I feel like I'm kind of turning over a a, a new leaf. I think that's the term, and I'm really kind of going at it again. And I feel like I'm going to try to hopefully make a run and and get the ranking back up and and kind of finish these last handful of years on a high note and I'm I'm hoping with him um you know helping me it's it's going to work out and I can just keep getting better and better and um you know so that's kind of my plan right now That's cool. Okay, I'm going to ask you a selfish question but as um you know you've been doing this for a long time, you know the ropes, you, you know there's a, there's a lot of lessons you've learned. What role does your uh, ideally does your coach play now? Like what, what are you trying to get out of him? How does your coach kind of best serve you at this point in your career? Um, gosh, there's, that's a long answer. Um, <laughs> you know, my, coach, my coach's job. Is not like that. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm looking for someone to push me and hold me accountable every day. I want to go to practice and, you know, if, if my feet aren't moving or if I'm not doing something right, I want, I want my coach to be on me. I want him to, you know, not, not in a mean way, but like I said, hold me accountable. I don't want him to be afraid to tell me something that I don't want to hear. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that's what I'm looking for, you know, kind of on the surface, but then also someone that, you know, when it comes to, I'm someone who likes very specific things. When I, if I miss a forehand, why did that happen? Not just like, Oh, you know, you hit it in the net, aim higher. Well, obviously aim higher. You know, I want to know <laughs> were my feet in the right position was, was my spacing correct? And so I want a coach that really, you know, now for my career knows those little technical details. And I, I feel like, um, you know, Vahe is a, a, a great coach for that. And, um, and then, you know, also it's, it's someone you got to get along with because you are on the road with this person, you know, half the year. It's a lot of days in Europe together. It's a lot of dinners together. And it's, um, you know, you need to, you want to enjoy the person's time if you're going to be around them that much. Yeah, definitely. What, what, when you're on the, when you're on the road, when you're at a tournament, how does a how does a coach best help you? You know, a lot of it at tournaments, and you know, if I'm home in uh, in LA or, or Vegas practicing, it's the same. I you know, a lot of practice is done at tournaments and on the road. So you know, we do. I still do a lot of hand feeding and making sure that I <laughs> I'm doing the basic things correctly. So I, I do a lot of that. I want someone that's gonna you know. Tell me to, you know, after I, after I have a match, if they feel like I need to go out and, and do a few more things, whether it's a serve or return, you know, push me to go out and do that. So, um, you know, at tournaments, I, I want that. And then also someone who's going to, you know, put together a, a good game plan for me. I'm not someone who wants a ton of information on my opponent, but, um, you know, I want some, I want some bullet points on what my opponent does well or doesn't do well. And, you know, the big thing from a coach for me is when they're saying something, 
I want them to believe it. And if they say it with conviction, whether it's right or wrong, I'll buy into it. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, that's a really good point. All right. I'm going to keep hijacking this conversation just one more with one more question. Um, (laughs) When you, when you, when the coach gives you a a game plan, you say you just kind of want a couple bullet points or whatever, like what are, what are some of the best, um, like what does a game plan look like essentially? Is it, is it really keying in on, on guys and saying, okay, Hey, watch out for this pattern and try to, they like to do this and make sure you take this away from them. Is it more about how to best utilize your game to expose their game? Is it ways, um, yeah, I mean, like, what what what, are, what is kind of like a best case scenario game plan for you? For me, ninety five percent of what I do is I'm gonna just do what I do. I want I want yeah. my opponent to react to what I'm gonna do. Um, you know, I've got a certain skill set. I'm gonna go out there and serve big and try to hit big forehands and look to take the ball early and come to the net and impose myself on someone. Um, you know, I'm I'm not gonna change my game because oh hey, this guy is a good backhand, so don't hit two forehands to their backhand. Um, you know, I'm going to do what I do and make them hopefully adjust to me. It's, it's little things where, um, you know, maybe a coach might say, Hey, you know, this guy likes to work the ball into the deuce court, generally speaking, or this guy on second serves a 90% of the time, they're going to hit it to your backhand. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's little things like that. And, and some people like to get, receive more information. I'm someone who doesn't, I, I'm someone who, when it comes to first serve tendencies, I never want to know where my opponent, where his tendencies are serving on the first serve. I don't like knowing that. Um, it's a little bit like a baseball player up in the back, uh, up in the box. I don't want to know pitchers' tendencies because if if you tell me this player likes to serve wide fifty one percent of the time, for some reason in my head I find myself guessing wide hundred percent of the time. Right. So there's there's certain things I like, but like I said, for the most part, I'm gonna worry about my game and and hopefully make my opponent adjust to me. Yeah, I think that's the that's the biggest thing. I would completely agree. Is I think a lot of people get so caught up in trying to change and and do things different and go outside of their comfort zone. And really, when you're playing your best tennis, all it comes down to is doing what you do. Be the best. Be the best version of you, and and go out and do what you do. And then if there's things that you can foresee your opponent doing that can maybe take you out of that, then that's where you want to make your slight adjustments. But I love I love how you put it. You said, "Hey, ninety ninety five percent of what I'm doing is." just what I do and I'm going to impose my game on them. And I think that's, that's really when people are playing, playing their best tennis, I think. So. Yeah. It's easier to worry, worry about or focus on what you can do rather than what your opponent can do. And, you know, obviously sometimes you need a a plan B in place, but plan A is do what you do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You mentioned, you don't know how much, uh, you know, longer you'll, you'll play. I'm not going to make you give, you know, I'm not going to ask you, you know, how, how long, but how, uh, how often, how much do you think about life after tennis? Is that, is that occupy your mind much or not really? Um, a little bit, you know, when I was, when I first came out at 18, I think if you would have said, Hey, you can, uh, you can play till you're 30. Um, you know, I'd have been, that's great. Cause at the time guys were kind of playing till 30 and then they would stop. Yeah. And now, now that number's 35, you know, with, yeah. Better and Wawrinka and, uh, you know, Djokovic and all aren't that old, but they're still playing at an extremely high level of 31, 32. And so, um, you know, like I said, I don't, it's hard to give a number on how much longer I'm going to play, but no, as, long yeah. as, yeah. as long as I'm enjoying it and, um, you know, still don't mind traveling and I keep playing. And, um, you know, I, I definitely think about life after tennis. I got, I got married in, in June of last year. Yeah, congrats. So life, thank you. <laughs> 
my wife comes with me to a handful of tournaments. She's been to them all now, and so she comes to the ones she likes. <laughs> she gets to pick now. Yeah, and so <laughs> yeah, you know, and, you know, surely here we're gonna start, you know, thinking about family, and then you know, who who knows what's gonna happen after that? And I haven't given much thought to what it's be like after, and I'm, you know, I hope I can do this for a little while longer, and then worry about it after that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you don't know don't know what uh, what what road you'll go down. Any any second career options? There's nothing that jumps out to you. Nothing that jumps out <laughs> right now. No, no. Well, cool, man. Well, you mind if I? Uh, I usually like to end with a couple rapid fire questions and kind of compile everybody's answers. You mind if I uh, finish with a couple of those? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. What's your? Uh, how do you typically kill time on the road? Steve Johnson and I split a physiotherapist, so I spend a lot of time on the table now that I'm a little older, stretching and massage and, you know, doing cupping and dry needling and things like that. Um, <laughs> You're getting old, you know, man. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, I'm, in the cities now, I've, I've got my favorite restaurants and places that I go to, and I still like just walking around random cities. I don't mind throwing headphones in and going on a walk for a couple hours um, cool. and kind of just seeing what's out there. I'm curious. Yeah. Restaurants on the, I know you're, you're holding it down on the West side of LA now. What's your, what's your restaurant spots over there? Uh, I mean, so my wife's a great cook. We cook at home. Probably we cook at home. She cooks at home probably four <laughs> nights a week. I do the dishes, but um, so we'll do that. And I, I'm on the spot right now. I can't think of one restaurant that we go to. No? We, we mix it up, but there's, there's, I mean, there's so many good ones within, you know, a five mile radius. Yeah, my girlfriend really likes uh, what is it? Blue plate taco is that Blue one plate of them? Blue plate taco is great. Uh, yeah. Army Kitchen's good. This place called Superba's really good. Uh-huh. There's, uh huh. The Mar Vista near our house, which is good. So there, I mean, literally, there's there's an endless supply of good restaurants here. Yeah, there's so much. There's so much. Do you have a um, do you have a favorite tennis book? Ooh. Um, no, sorry. No. <laughs> um, when you're under pressure, what do you like to remind yourself or tell yourself? Um, when I'm on my under pressure, I like to remind myself or tell myself to hit big. I don't. I don't necessarily always do it, but I try <laughs> to hit my way out of pressure by, um, you know, going for more almost. Okay. All right. I like that. All right. Last one. I always like. Uh, I always like hearing the answers to this one. If you were coaching yourself. Maybe uh, as a junior or when you're first starting out on the on the pro tour, what would you tell yourself? Um, you know when it, and I can't. Junior's pretty tough to say, but I'd say on the pro yeah. tour, I feel like there's at times where I would maybe complain about my tension or I didn't feel good or you know I maybe mentally went away. I, I would tell myself to suck it up a little more. Sometimes I feel <laughs> like I was maybe a little. Uh, you know, mentally weak or let so many things bother me. So I, I would just say suck it up. When it when it comes to coaching, I, I'm not confident in my coaching skills when it comes to anything <laughs> or what to do. So uh, you probably don't want me coaching your kids out there because I'm just going to tell them to get it out and suck it up. <laughs> that's all right. Hey, a lot of times that's the best advice you can you can give. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, sometimes when I'm playing out there and I'm, I'm not feeling good, I tell myself to make it as I make contact every ball. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Make it. Okay. <laughs> that's cool, man. Well, that's a good. That's a good uh, last words of wisdom to to close with, man. I appreciate you. Appreciate you doing this with me. This was this was fun. What's uh, 
I, you, like you were mentioning before, you got a few weeks here, you're home, and then you're heading over, heading off to Europe? Yeah, I, my first tournament in Europe will be Geneva, and then the second one will be the French Open. Very cool. And what's the best way uh, for people to follow follow you and follow what you're doing? Um, the results, I mean, on the ATP WTA app are great. Um, you know, I'm probably but you. The only person, <laughs> I know, I'm probably the world without a Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I don't have Twitter either. I, I've got I've got Instagram um, that people can follow. I, I'll throw a post up every couple months. <laughs> uh, but you can definitely, you know, occasionally I'll put a good one up there. <laughs> not super, not super active on the social media. No, and it's mostly uh, you know non tennis related items. Yep. <laughs> I got well, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Well, Sam, I appreciate you doing this with me, man. This this was fun, and um, hopefully, oh, I'm sure I'll see you probably see you over in Carson when the when we're both over there training. Definitely. Hopefully, see you there. Very fun interview there with Sam. I hope you guys enjoyed that, and uh, I want to I want to thank Sam for taking the time out of his training schedule to to have that conversation with me. Uh, if you like what you heard, please go back check out some older episodes. We uh, we just talked to Marcos Giron, uh, also from the Thousand Oaks area where Sam is from. Um, that was a great conversation. Also, Jason Jung is another uh, peer of Sam's that uh, that we all grew up together. So a couple great conversations with other ATP pros you might like. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this. That's really the best way to support the podcast and also stay up to date on anything new that comes out. If you feel so compelled, leave me a star rating or a review on any of those platforms as well. Also, follow me on Instagram at andygerst10s, and that's a good way to stay up to date on what I am up to, not only with the podcast, but in life. Uh, That's all I got for you this week. Thank you, listeners, for taking the time. I know this is a long podcast, so I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you got something out of this that you can take and apply to your game and make you a better player right away. And we will talk to you next week. 